Welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little uh, video slash podcast that I like to do in uh, my little part of the continent where I like to talk about all things investing, specifically things that I'm seeing going on in the markets, my own little observations and takes on what's going on in the stock market, and also share with you some of uh, my thought processes into how I make my own investment decisions with you know the hopeful goal that you can take some of it and bring it back to your own uh, personal decisions that you're facing, and hopefully there'll be some uh, added value for you. My name is Amin Reina, and I am an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I help people who want to become more financially independent, but they feel kind of totally, I don't know, intimidated and confused by the whole stock market, stock concept, investing concept. They either don't know where to start when it comes to investing, or if they've been investing for a while, they just don't seem to feel that there's just don't seem to feel like they're making any, any progress with their, with their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people and I engage with them on how to make more educated and more thoughtful and ultimately more successful uh, investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and achieve it with confidence. So that's kind of what I do. So this is episode 84 and it is decision day. And when I say, when I mean decision day, it's the, uh, it's the episode I like to do every once in a while here, where I like to share with you uh, my own uh, personal investment decisions that I've made uh, recently. And I think it's really important for me to do that because, you know, as an investment coach, uh, you know, it's one thing for me to teach people like the mechanics of how to figure out how to buy and sell stocks and ETFs. Uh, I think it's another thing to kind of to model that behavior because I think a lot of people teach stuff, but just, you know, don't demonstrate and don't apply it. So, what I like to do, and I do this uh, every month, is I write them, uh, one of my blog posts uh, every month. I, I share with people. I write down and I share with people the investment decisions that I've made in the previous month and kind of share with you more specifically the thought process that I went through to get to those investment decisions because that's the part people really are interested in, uh, want to know. Um, and so today I'm going to share with you some of my most recent investment decisions. Again, you can find my blog version on my website, sageinvestors.ca. Now, one of the things uh, you know that I that's important, and one of the things I teach people and try to get people into this kind of habit or rhythm of, is is really about framing um, their investment ideology and having a lot of their decision making kind of mapped out in the form of an investment plan, or as I like to call them, like an investment playbook, where when a stock, you know, in terms of having some kind of criteria, in terms of going out and buying stocks, having a criteria when you want to sell stocks and get out of stocks, having an exit strategy, all these are elements that go into framing an investment decision and executing uh, your, your investment plan. And uh, for me personally, my plan is revolves around bite-sized returns, where I like to, I, I basically set every time I buy or sell a stock, I kind of set up a threshold in terms of, in my mind of, you know, what kind of return am I hoping to achieve if I buy the stock? And then at the same time, if the stock doesn't pan out, if you know we make bad investment decisions, sometimes it just doesn't work out. What is my exit strategy? What am I, what's the most I'm willing to lose on a on a stock or an ETF or an investment? So I had kind of have that exit strategy in my, in my mind. And so when I cross these thresholds, when these my investments cross these thresholds, I sort of have this little conversation with myself, and try to figure out, okay, um, should I now? It's you know if if I'm up. A certain percentage should I now be selling or should I continue to hold? If I'm losing uh, a specific amount of money, should I be, you know, 
well, in, in my case, there's really no debate. It's basically you're out. So for me, my personal investment strategy and criteria involves the 20% rule. And essentially, if I'm up 20% on an investment or I'm getting close to that 20% return on investment, I pretty much start to reevaluate the investment and look at, you know what, has it had a good run? Am I happy to sell it right here and bank that 20% profit? Or should I continue? Do I think there's a lot more upside with the stock and should I continue to hold on? And that gets kind of into that kind of an emotional uh, aspect of the decision-making process. Um, because you know greed is ultimately going to drive that element of how do you buy or you know hold on or sell. The flip side, um, if I'm losing money on a stock, and I'm, for me my magic number is 20%. If I'm down 20% on a stock or an ETF, I have to ask my. There is really no uh, discussion. I'm out because um, I built that into my my thought process. Is anytime I'm down 20% or I get to that 20% threshold, I'm out. Um, no questions asked, even if I love the company and I do the research and all the numbers and analysis tell me that it's, it's going to pan out. Um, if I'm down 20%, I'm out because basic math tells you that in order for me to break even, I need the stock to go up 25% to, for me to just break even, get my money back. And I have to ask myself, how realistic is that at its current point? And so it's important to have these disciplined um, approaches in building them into your investment plan because that's going to ultimately keep more money in your pocket and increase the chances of you growing your savings materially. When we let emotions start driving our decision making, that's when we start losing 20, 30, 40% and it's hard yourself, hard to dig out of that hole when you get down to that kind of level. So I'm going to share with you just a little bit of a background of how I am, how I kind of frame my decisions and, they, and, and the reason why I'm talking about it is because it, it came into a play in a lot of the decisions that I made uh, in the past month and I'm going to share them with you. Um, first thing before I jump in is I always have to put the, for this type of, for this episode, because um, I know a lot of people listen, these are like, this is one of probably the more popular uh, podcast episodes that I do. Um, I think, I don't know if people are just looking for stock tips or they're just, I think they're just intrigued by the whole concept of, you know, how I make my decisions. Either way, the key I just want to, I have to always put this one out there for these for these episodes is the disclaimer in the sense that I, um, I don't expect people to go out and buy these stocks. I don't recommend going out and buying and selling the stocks I'm going to in the ETFs I'm going to talk about here. Um, ultimately, it's what I'm here what I'm here to share with you is my thought process that led me to these investment decisions, and that's really what, what I want you to take away from all this. Uh, if you're looking for stock tips and you're looking for uh, you know a quick buck kind of thing. This is not for you. You might as well press the pause button. You might as well press the stop button. You might as well delete the podcast right now because that's not what this is about. I don't do uh, uh, make recommendations. That's the nature of what I do as an investment coach. I don't tell people what to do. I teach people the mechanics of how to make investment decisions really for the goal so that they can make those decisions themselves and not be dependent upon a third party, a broker, a planner, or you know Kramer or whoever to make investment decisions. So I, Always have to put this out, a little disclaimer that I have to put out there uh, whenever I do these episodes. So, so let's go. I got my list. Let's, uh, let's walk, let me walk you through it. Okay, decision number one. The first decision I made was I decided to sell uh, my position in an ETF. Uh, it's called the iShares India ETF. It basically is an ETF that invests in the Nifty 50, the top 50 uh, market capitalized uh Top 50 uh, companies in India by market capitalization, and I sold it um, for a 28.3% gain, and that's uh, factoring out currencies and all these, you know, adjustments and all that. Net net, I made 28.3% on the on the decision, and 
Again, the, I, the decision point, I, came, I, I got to this decision point essentially with my 20% rule. Um, as the stock, as the ETF was crossing that 20% mark, I basically asked myself, am I happy to make profit at the, take the profit in here? The reality is uh, when I bought this ETF a couple of years ago, I bought it in September 2015, at the time the Indian economy was really struggling, the rupee was kind of literally crashing, uh, elections were just on the horizon. It was at the point actually where the new Prime Minister, Prime Minister Modi came in and uh, he was promising a very pro-business, uh, reform, pro-reform kind of uh, deregulated type of economy. And so at the time, uh, I thought this would be a great time to kind of get into it, get into investing in that market. Also, I thought another reason that drove me to buy into this ETF was the fact that we're seeing, I was seeing from what I'm reading, what I've seen, talking to people, there seemed to be a great transition. Um, you know, when we looked at India, we think of it as an IT company where we go and outsource our IT uh, services and there's a whole bunch of call site and people answering call site. Very low level, low level on the manufacturing service totem pole. But uh, the reality is if you talk to the country, it's an extremely young entrepreneurially entrepreneurial focused country that is focused on innovation. They don't want to just be a call center for the world. They want to be doing much, much higher level things. And there's a, such an educated workforce and an innovative workforce and an entrepreneurial workforce that they're going to do some stuff. And the confidence level that you have over there is just amazing. So everybody talks about China being, you know, the next dominant superpower. Well, you know what? India has got a lot to say about it too. And that's what propelled me to get into this into this ETF. So I bought it in and uh, you know, sure enough, it's a lot of things have happened. The economy's rebound. Um, the confidence level is, has, has really approved, uh, improved out there. And so guess what? The ETF has reflected it. The Indian stock market has been up, uh, has had a great run. And so I thought, you know, 20, I, there's nothing saying I like the story there. And so I could have easily just held on. But again, my 20% rule, my, my whole concept of bite-sized returns is, to me, that's a pretty good return to get out of a stock market over a, a lot, you know, a couple year period, I thought, you know what, I'm just happy to bank the profit. I'm happy to take the profit. And if the ETF pulls back a bit, um, I still think the long run story of India and the whole economy thing is, is great. It's extremely positive. I just decided, this is me, that's my personal preference. I decided to bank the profit. I was happy with 28% return. So I took the, uh, took the profit and I'm more than happy to come back in if, if, uh, if things got a little kind of crappy over there and uh, the market kind of suffered over there. So, so it's a stock, it's, a, it's an ETF, it's a, a place that I'm probably gonna keep on my watch list and I'm gonna keep my eye on it and if there's an opportunity to get back in onto it and build a, a position at a lower price point, I'm probably gonna do again. And again, look for that bite-sized return because I think there's possibilities of getting that kind of bite-sized return over a long period of time. So that was that decision number one. Decision number two was I sold um, my position in uh, Visa, ticker symbol V, and I sold it for a 45% gain, 45.4% gain. Again, factoring out uh, currency conversions and all that stuff. Now, one of the things I teach people about <laughs> investing and, and figuring out what stocks to buy is, is don't fall in love with the stocks that you're analyzing. Don't fall in love with the stocks that you're investing in because as soon as you anchor yourself to that decision you're making and things happen and you, you people tend to be more prone, and this is all of us, me included, we tend to fall in love with our stocks. We tend to hold on to them probably longer than we wanted to. Um, that we really needed to. So 
in this case, if, if somebody would have asked me, I try very hard to, you know, take that emotional side of, you know, anchoring myself to stocks that I like. Um, but uh, if somebody asked me, okay, if there's a stock out there that you would kind of fall in love with, I think Visa would be one of those stocks for me. It's perpetually been just a great performer. I've held it several times and it's just delivered the goods every time. And again, you know, this time 45% return, wow, I'm really, I'm happy about it. I put this stock actually in my son's RESP account, again, because I think it's, to me, it's just one of those core blue chip, um, solid, well-run businesses out there. It's among the most solid, well-run businesses out there. And uh, I put it in my kid's portfolio. Um, and you know, obviously it's, it's done really well. And the thing I love about it is just the fact of the nature of the business. It's one of the, it's the dominant business out there in terms of credit card payments, um, you know, electronic commerce payments. Um, when you look at the financials of this company, this is a finance company that has no debt, which is unheard of. Like if you look at all the banks and all the insurance companies out there, they're got oodles and oodles of debt. This company has no debt. So it's just strictly cranking out cash. It is just a cash cow and a cash machine. And it's the best of breed uh, credit card producer, uh, credit card company out there. And this is a company that's also, and it's not just Visa, it's MasterCard, that's done this without really getting into China. And China over the last while has said that they're gonna open up their market to foreign uh, companies, credit card companies. So if Visa can get a full foothold into that area, the stock is going to just go, this company is just going to blow up, blow up uh, even more, more so. So, so here's the challenge. The stock was up so high and I, this is a stock I just kept letting it run because I just, again, I just like the company. I like what they've done. And usually at the 20% mark, that's kind of what I'm kind of getting out. But I just, for this one, I just kept holding on to it because I just, the fundamentals of the business to me just are really solid. And uh, really, there was no reason for me to sell it. Like, honestly, I wouldn't have a problem. If I still held it, I would probably be okay with it. But again, I looked at it and I got 45% return. I think I'm happy with that. I think you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking a profit on something um, and on anything. So that's really what it is. It was just my, my comfort level. I was just comfortable with taking that profit. And I said, to my, you know, basically saying to myself, you know, if the stock comes back in the future, I'm more than happy to come in and buy it. So again, um, I thought it was a nice profit and I just decided to bank it and move on. And uh, again, it's on my little watch list. I always keep an eye on it. And if it comes back at a lower price point, hey, I'm, in, I'm gonna come in and I'm, I'm gonna buy it. And it's a lot, previous times I've held it, I've made pretty good profit, at least 20%. Prop, I can't remember the returns I generated previously. But as I said, what I like about the bite size return kind of approach is if you can keep banking profits at 20%, 30%, whatever, and you can consistently do that, you know, over time, you're gonna do fine. Your money is going to grow. You're going to build wealth. And that's ultimately, and more importantly, we're protecting our purchasing power and we're enhancing our purchasing power. This isn't to me, I'm not interested in beating the market and outperforming people on Bay Street or Wall Street. I'm trying to generate returns that are meaningful for me, that I'm comfortable generating because stocks are risky and there is that risk that, you know, as much as you can make 45% on return on a stock, you can lose 45% return just as easily. So risk is a comp an important component. And so as I generate these, as I'm able to generate um, these bite-sized returns, to me, I feel comfortable uh, cashing in on them and cashing out on them and just letting them grow incrementally that way instead of trying to hit the home run. I'd rather hit singles and doubles than try to hit a home run. So that's my Visa move. 
My next investment decision, as you can see, last while I've been just selling stocks because of, I've had a whole bunch of different stocks that have kind of crossed that my 20% threshold. So I've been, been making a lot of decisions on whether I should continue or whether I should sell. So those two. So the next one I made decision I made it was a sell decision again as I decided to sell my position in the Guggenheim Water ETF, Global Water ETF, ticker symbol CGW, and I sold it for a 23.2% gain. Uh, one of my kind of long-term investing themes, and for those of you who've been listening to my podcast or my videos or following me on my website, my blog and my website, uh, one of my long-term investing themes and concepts that I'm, I think I, 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 I feel strongly in my portfolio that I like to have is I like to have an exposure to water stocks, um, water utility companies, because I really believe in the long run, and this is just my take, feel free to slam it, I think the next great conflicts we're gonna have in our society and in the world are gonna be driven by water. And the fact of the matter is, with global climate warming, climate change, and all this stuff, Water is going, I think water is going to be harder to come by. I think it's going to be scarce. I think we're seeing parts of the world that are literally drying out. And there are, you know, people, cities, countries, whatever, are going to have water issues. In the States, there's already happening. And if you go to California, Nevada, there's issues there. And so people, countries and people that have control of water are going to have control of a lot of things in the world. And so for me, uh, I felt it's important to have an exposure. Now, I decided to buy an ETF because I really didn't have time to, to analyze, figure out which comp water companies are better. I made a decision here that I'd rather own a basket of water utility companies and kind of ride the wave on that side. So that's what I did. And I thought the Guggenheim water ETF was a good one because in a sense it had a global exposure. It wasn't just a, a North American exposure. It had a very global exposure to all different kinds of water treatment, water utility kind of companies, kind of stocks. So uh, I went with this one. And again, so the stock, I was up. When it crossed over 20%, I debated with myself, okay, do I want to hold it or do I want to, do I want to sell it and bank the profit? And again, I was happy at this stage because these stocks, these type companies aren't like companies that are going to grow like, you know, super fast. These are not uber growth companies. These are companies that um, slow and steady. And I thought, you know what, at this point, 23%, I'm happy with the return. I'm protecting my purchasing power. I'm creating and enhancing uh, my, my wealth position on here. So I thought, I'm happy to sell it. Again, same story, put it on my list. If I find, if, the, if it comes back, if the market starts crapping out in this type of ETF or the Visa or the India ETF pops back down, just go back in and buy it. I'll, I'm happy to, I, I have a comfort level to go back in and buy these things. Assuming again, all the fundamentals uh, stay, stay constant. So that's another decision. So my last sell decision that I made this past uh, last month or so has been I sold all my stock or shares in the iShares Europe ETF and the ticker symbol is XEH. So this one trades in Canada. Uh, I sold it for a 22.5% gain. Again, factoring all currencies, adjustments, blah, 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 blah. That's what I did. So my logic again when I bought this ETF is I wanted was I bought it uh, literally, when did I buy it? I bought it in January 2015. And at the time we had all this garbage going on in Europe with Greece, um, Grexit, um, all kinds of turmoil, the economies were weak over there. And so what happened with the time is the central bank, the European Central Bank, basically came in and just basically copied the US playbook, which was all about quantitative easing and did their own version of quantitative easing, which essentially means the central banks there decided to print a lot of euros, print a lot of euros and flood the market with a lot of liquidity with the whole purpose of uh, making money uh, available and cheap 
So with the intention that it would be reinvested into the economies, the European economies, countries, and ultimately improve the economy and ultimately improve um, the stock prices of that. And so I invest, I opened up a position at that time because we saw the playbook of how the U.S. has done it. And essentially, as much as I don't agree with it because it's artificially propping up asset prices, the fact of the matter is it propped up asset prices. And so when I saw that Europe was doing, the central bank was doing exactly the same thing, uh, I thought, okay, this is probably, that was probably a really good time to get into the, to own a basket of European companies. And again, I didn't know where to start in terms of identifying European companies. So I said, you know what, I make a decision. I'll just own a basket of them. And so that the XEH, um, this iShares Europe ETF gave me that good, nice exposure to that whole European market. So if the European economy rebounded, then this ETF was going to rebound with it. So I did that. I bought in in January 2015. And it did okay. It's been and it was kind of trudging water for a while. But then I uh, last year we had the whole Brexit thing, and then again there was the the, the downturn in the Europe uh, stock market. If people remember, the European market started crapping out for a couple of weeks, and uh, there was a lot of angst going on in Europe uh, whether Europe was going to stay together or fall apart. So at that time, I, I made the decision that I would wanted to buy more shares. So after the Brexit vote and everything was crapping out, I bought. I went in and bought more shares to actually lower my cost, uh, lower my cost position. And again, it turned out to be a really good move because um, what's happened is the European stock markets, all European stock markets, have have done really, really well. There's tangible signs out there that the European economy is getting better. Um, now the whole concept of de disinflation or deflation, which was prevalent out there, because a lot of countries like Germany were selling uh, their bond yields were in negative. We had negative interest rates going. And they're now starting to get into positive elements. So there's a lot of positive things that have been happening in the European economy in the last six to ten months, even after the Brexit vote. And then we still have all the Brexit stuff. And at at the end of the day, uh, Europe might be even in a stronger position without Great Britain, and it potentially could be looking like that. Anyway, so. With all this stuff going on, um, this ETF just has been steadily climbing. And again, it crossed that 22, 20%, my 20% threshold. And I asked myself again, am I okay with 20% uh, profit uh, from, this, from this ETF? And my sense was, you know what? I think I've banked enough profit. It might pull back down um, because I think you know the problem with quantitative easing and printing money is it inflates artificially kind of inflates assets. So there could be a major pullback in asset prices in Europe down the road. So maybe it's just better to just take my profit now. And if things crap out, then I can come back in and come in at a lower price point again and start building my position, start um, you know, generating another iteration of, of another investment decision. So again, I sold it, made about 22%. And again, I'm happy with it. I can sleep at night and, uh, and, and I move on. So as you can see, this is a very... When you're having an investment plan, when you have a strategy and an ideology of how you're going to execute your decisions, investing can be it becomes very rep repetitive and it becomes very, very uh, iterative and it becomes very boring. And that's great because if you're able to make these decisions and iteratively convert them into meaningful returns and into bite-sized returns over a long period of time, chances are you're gonna have more money at the end of the day at the end of time where you're trying to get to, then you're going to have right now. And isn't that the goal of investing? We want to make money. We want to grow our savings meaningfully, protect our purchasing power from inflation so the value of our money doesn't erode. We want it to grow. So that's a lot of that is having that investment plan. And so 
and having that those cue points, those play things in your playbook to execute when certain situations happen. So when to get in, when to get out, um, and having that unemotional aspect on a, down so you can make those decisions and make them without emotion. And ultimately, you're going to make those your chances are you're going to make more successful investment decisions. So, so so far I've gone share with you all my sell decisions. So I made quite a few selling decisions in the previous month. I want to tell I did also make a decision to buy some stock. And this is basically not a new position, this is an existing position. What I did also during the month was I, I bought some more shares of General Electric. And uh, again, this General Electric, I have it in my son's RESP account. Um, because my goal when I built that, set up that account was to put really blue chip, high quality, solid, well-run businesses in that portfolio. So essentially have the best of the best. So he had Visa, which I sold. Uh, and again, I would put Visa back in if it came in at a lower price point. And the other stock I had in there right now also is, is General Electric. And so General Electric has been a really out of favor company. Despite everything that's going on with Facebook and you know Apple and the FANG stocks and the markets hitting record highs, General Electric has been, gee, has been, their stock has been really lagging. It's just done nothing. It's just kind of languished between the $26 and $29 range. And I thought at one point it went down to almost $26 and my cost base was like $29.80 or something. So I decided to buy some more stock. Basically I bought it basically to lower my cost position. But my, you know, my opinion of the company in terms of the businesses, and it's interesting with GE, and the reason I got into GE was um, over the last couple of years, they've been they've undergone a huge transformation in the sense that they were very much dominated. The one segment of the business was dominated by their financial company, their lending company, their their uh, financial services company, sex or uh, divisions, and it really bogged them down after the when the financial crisis hit. The stock really got schmucked, and uh, the company was you know basically valued as a financial company and not as an industrial kind of uh, manufacturing uh, healthcare um, environmentally you know environmental services type company it was marketed it was present it was valued based on being it being a bank so what the company's been doing the last couple of years and that's what got me into GE was that they've been basically selling out of that they've been getting out of the financial side of it and really becoming a pure play uh, industrial company, industrial conglomerate kind of company that's got their hands in so many different kinds of really um, burgeoning, growing industries like healthcare, health sciences, health technology, uh, environmental sciences, uh, air, uh, wind turbine energy. They have the whole aeronautics uh, side of it. Um, so, and they're literally market leaders and best of breed divisions. Uh, you know, on their own, these divisions could probably be really dominant players in their sectors and GE owns all of them. So they, the stock because of that kind of gets traded at a lower discount and so it doesn't necessarily unlock a lot of the value out of it. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, the price you pay for owning a conglomerate. But to me, I thought this was a great opportunity to come in, buy some more shares of the company, lower my cost base. These are high quality businesses that they're engaged in and they're literally best of breed. and. Um, they're generating strong returns on capital, so they're making money, they're making tangible wealth. And so there's, there's upside in the stock. There's, if, can the stock go up 20%? I think there is a lot of opportunity for the stock to go up 20%. I don't know when it's going to happen because um, 
right now the market's pretty down on it and so they're pretty down on it it's kind of out of favor by the market and so usually for me those are the opportunities to come in and buy great companies at cheaper prices is when the market and one of the analysts are are kind of down on it so so I made that decision. I bought some more shares for my son's portfolio uh, in GE. So that's pretty much what I did last month. And as you can see, it's a fair, you know, it's a fair cross-section of, of, of decisions that I made. But again, uh, what I really want you to hope you take away is the whole iterative nature of how I go about making these decisions. And it really comes down to having that plan, that strategy, uh, your ideology of how you want to buy, what kind of investments you want to make. Uh, how do you, how you're going to buy them? How you're going to sell them? How you're going to fit them into your portfolio in terms of alloc asset allocation? All these elements are real critical components to building up your plan and to growing your money. And as you can see, um, for me, I'm just sharing with you my ideology. Again, for me, my kind of magic number is 20%. I'm happy to sell to generate 20% return because it covers my. Um, it's well above you know, inflation, so I'm protecting my money, value of my money, and the fact that I'm selling and generating returns far above inflation means I'm, grow, I'm tangibly growing my money. So if inflation were to go up in the future, down the road, 10 years, 20 years, like I have my, my portfolio, my savings are growing at a rate that I'm, it's not going to impact my ability to consume and to impact my standard of living. And that's ultimately what our goal is as investors. We wanna protect and maintain our standard of living and obviously enhance our standard of living. So uh, that's why we invest is to, 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 to enhance our, to maintain our standard of living and enhance it possibly going forward. So um, that's really what it is. And for me, 20% is that comfort level for me. I can sleep at night knowing I'm up 20% on stock. I can sleep fine with that. I don't need to make 50, 60, 70, 80% returns. I did it with Visa because I just, the company, I, I'm really happy with the company. But the decisions I'm making is if I can make enough of these decisions, 20% returns and generate enough of them, and instead of trying to buy a company and try to make 100% return or 80% return, if I can get 20% at a time, take bite-sized returns out of it over a long period of time, I think I should be able to be making a pretty good return overall and make a whole bunch of good investment decisions that are going to allow me to grow my grow my uh, grow my savings and that's what it's all about so I hope you kind of through today's decisions that I made today kind of kind of starts kind of feel that kind of iterative concept that kind of goes into how you make these things and it only becomes iterative and it only becomes mundane and boring once you have a plan so um, if you're interested um, you can give me a shout I can we can talk further about this whole investment plan playbook kind of thing I can work with you and give you some ideas on how you can build one uh, how to build one I'm more than happy to work with you on building an investment plan or investment strategy with you because um, to me it's it, it's really that that kind of uh, I call it the secret sauce that really separates great investors from from the run-of-the-mill just uh, uh, investors. So that's all I got for you. If you have any questions about this, feel free to give me a shout. You can give me through a shout through my website, uh, sageinvestors.ca. Just hit me through an email there. If you have any questions about uh, my these, uh, this episode and any decisions I made, or any other questions you have about, uh, about my courses, I offer a series of online courses in person and online on various investing topics. Um, or if you want to talk about some coaching stuff, we can talk about that in terms of some coaching services and opportunities we have to work together. 
be more than happy to hear from you. I'm also on Twitter. Um, you can find me, my handle is at Sage Investors, and I'm on there quite a bit because I'm, any real-time decisions that I'm making personally, I tweet them out, and also any observations that I'm seeing in the market uh, from other people that I really you know, value and trust their opinions on, I share it on there. So if you can follow me through Twitter, I'm happy to do that. Also, as a bonus, and this is actually, hmm, I might as well just announce it right now. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Actually, I was on Facebook, but then I got out of it because I didn't understand why I needed to be on Facebook. But I'm on Facebook now. My uh, website, or not my website, my uh, I've, co- I've created a page, uh, Sage Investors. Um, so feel free to jump on there. All my blog posts and uh, videos and commentary and all that stuff, if you're more on Facebook than you are on anything else, look it up and feel free to like and join up and you know if you want to follow some of the stuff that I'm uh, what I'm reading and seeing and hearing out there you can do that definitely through there so that's all I got for you to this week I uh, hope this has been of value to you um, thank you very much for listening thank you very much for watching if you've been watching the video version uh, we'll catch you again next week thank you for uh, joining in another episode of Stock Talk my name is Amin Reina of Sage Investors and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for watching and listening and we'll catch you again next time.